and welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about 80s creepypasta so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz with illustrations by Stephen Gamel. Joining us to discuss the illustrations that haunted your childhood is Becca, who pays 25% attention to all of Kate's spooky shit and therefore knows three times as much as the average person. I'm basically an expert. <laughs> that was that was like algebra. <laughs> Welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we trick you into doing SAT math. <laughs> uh, so this is, we're continuing our flashback summer, where we, uh, in some cases, revisit books from our childhoods. I'll say yes. straight up, I never read these books when I was a kid, because they had scary right in the name, and I knew that was not for me. <laughs> You're the only person think, in the world. I think that's probably true. Yeah. I have my original copies from when I was a kid that are have seen better days. And then I also, when I was older, bought uh, the collection all in one book, I think when I was in college, um, just for ease of not destroying the copies of these books that I still would reference constantly, even as an adult. I, I like these. I got this from the library. I specifically got the older edition with the original illustrations because I know people really like those. I don't know why. They're gross. <laughs> <laughs> that is something that is still so interesting to me. I'm so interested in the thought process behind changing those illustrations out. Uh, it's because these are gross, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> they're, it's just, they're so iconic, and the illustrations they replace them with were not bad. If you're unfamiliar with this story, a few years back, I want to say it was like 2011, it was a, an, a big anniversary for the book. They released a new edition and they took out these illustrations and had new ones commissioned. By by Brett Halquist, who Yes. Who illustrated all the, like, let me snick it. And they were very good. His illustrations were very good. But if you ask anyone who read this as a child, like, the illustrations are basically like the main part of what made them so iconic to so many people yeah i remember basically every single picture in these books and in reading them when you were talking about how gross they were mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which they are like even things like everything is kind of vaguely drippy for no reason yes. and that's gross yeah. but i was thinking about like if those illustrations it was just a text this would not be scary at all which I found it to be not that scary, which should be legitimate because, you know, I'm a 34-year-old woman, not a 7-year-old who read these originally, <laughs> which it all makes sense. But I, I was just thinking that, you know, it's the illustrations that make them scary to me, basically. <laughs> Most of them. There are some that I'm like, no, that's kind of spooky. Yeah. Everything. I I love everything about these stories. I, what? I, yes. I know. <laughs> I collected books of scary stories when I was a kid. I still have most of them. I took books of old folklore and ghost stories and stuff out of the library constantly instead of, like, having friends or reading cool things. <laughs> That's not true. I read everything. I had Stacks Babysitter's Club, too. I clearly still have these and still reference them. And, I mean, part of it is that I am just fascinated in horror as a genre and in the way we as humans react to being scared and the way we as humans create narratives and stories 
to both protect ourselves and each other and to explain things in the world around us and make everything seem less scary by making it more scary, if that makes sense. That's very profound. Anyway, I have a lot of feelings. My feelings are more just like, this is gross, and some of them made me feel like I was going to throw up. <laughs> Your feelings are basically, no. <laughs> My feelings are not so profound. They're like, why? Uh, ew. And occasionally, haha. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the, the last, so these are in sections based on, like, categories of stories, and the last section is ones that are just supposed to be funny, and they just sort of have... You know, they're, they're jump stories where it's just like a, a kind of, it's like a page of sort of atmospheric general spookiness leading up to a dad joke. Yeah, it's yes. like that same build of tension, but then the punchline isn't like, and then they attacked, or it was just like, and then this unexpected stupid thing happened. Yeah. Which were like all of these, thinking back, because um, the first section in a mirror of that last section... Uh, they're jump stories, uh, stories that build up and build up as you're telling them. And then as they're meant to be set, told out loud. And then as you get to the climax, like you essentially jump or shout or do something to startle everyone who is listening to you tell them. And these were like super popular when I was a kid. And by when I was a kid, I mean like up until like now probably but i mean like in elementary school and stuff like anything that involved like trying to scare someone by jumping at them i mean it's the same thing as like screamers which still exists yes, exactly exactly <laughs> it's like that very still and quiet and then it makes you jump and it's um i feel like a lot of these stories can be boiled down to most i would say like most horror fiction especially most american horror fiction a lot of these stories are very american and I feel like the type of folklore that gets passed around in other countries is sometimes different. I mean, some of these are universal, but a lot of them kind of feed on American anxieties, which are different in only because they are newer, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of things that are scary in other cultures like especially like if you look at the uk everything there has been fucking around forever and it's extremely haunted yes extremely haunted and their cultural anxieties around things like that um and around ghosts and the idea of dead things is slightly different than ours for that reason and, um, and specifically when you say american like the the introduction to this says like pioneers told scary stories around the campfire and like americans do this and then there's a couple mentions in the stories to like an old Indian and it's like just Indian. And so there's, but there's never um, a lot of reference to like indigenous stories and like a lot of Native American tribes have like a very oral based culture and storytelling is important. But this is like, it's not that. It's not that book. Yes, this is, this is like white American, white American settler american and there are he talks a little bit in the the afterward about some of the indigenous stories that kind of turned into a couple of the stories in here and he does that in the afterward and i think a little bit more explicitly in a couple of the stories in the the next two books we're only going to be talking about the first book scary stories to tell in the dark 
Because that's the only one I read. Yes. I read all of them. But yeah, like a lot of the stories here, when they're boiled down in their most basic format, and this is like one step away from their most basic format, are kind of the the building blocks for most of the supernatural horror that we still consume today. You know, some the, these are very basic. They're they're very very basic stories that turn into, you know, it's like the hitchhiker story. It's the, you know, a haunted house, like the idea of someone being buried alive. Like these are all things that are taken as a seed and turned into larger movies, larger books, larger stories. Um, and then this is kind of them in their most stripped down form, which works, you know, when you're introducing them to children, especially because, you know, this is kind of the the first exposure a lot of kids have to these stories that are, you know, kind of woven into the fabric of culture at this point. Yeah, very, you know, very scream, very, uh, I know what you did last summer, very... Yes. Other things that I haven't seen, probably. <laughs> There's a story in here that's literally the call is coming from inside the house. Yes. yes. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just, it's a lot of, and I think like, especially for a kid, because it's, you know, like that time when you're a kid and you like learn something new for the first time, or you learn about like something that's very non-specific, I know, for the first time, and you want to tell everyone because it's so cool. And, like, everyone around you, all the adults around you, like, obviously already know what this is and have known it for a long time, but you're so psyched about it. And I think, like, that's what these stories are for a lot of kids, is it's their first exposure to this. And you have that moment of, like, oh, my God, like, that's so cool. That's so creepy. Like, that's such a great idea. And you want to tell everyone and retell it and retell it. In in the dark? Yes. In the titular dark? Go on. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I, I think that is what these books are supposed to be for kids. Did you guys, I mean, did you ever go to camp or go camping? Did you literally tell these in the dark ever? Yes. <laughs> I don't think... I ever brought them to camp with me. I worked at a day camp and I worked, I mean, like, I was 11. I didn't get paid. Uh, but, you know, I was older than the six-year-olds. And so I brought them one time. We were doing something related and I read some of the, the, the funny ha-ha stories. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't need any adults coming at me being like, you gave my child nightmares. Um, but the reason I know these books is because my brother had them from Boy Scout camping trips. So that's how uh, I became familiar with them, probably a little bit too young, because they were appropriate for him at his <laughs> age. And he's three years older than me. What's up? And they lived, uh, here is, you know, very American. They lived in our bathroom. Yep. <laughs> cool. So you'd read them in the bathroom. <laughs> I actually did not do any overnight camp. Uh, until I worked at a camp with Renata several years ago. Hey. Um, I can't believe even more now that Renata has not been exposed to these books by you. Hang on. I didn't say that. I said I never read them as a kid. Oh. But you haven't read them before, you said. I skimmed. No, she had read them before. Oh, okay. I haven't read the other two, I don't think. Uh, I'll let Kate tell her story. I'll jump back in on this. I don't have a okay. time. Um, so I, as I said, like, I loved all sorts of scary stuff as a kid. I don't even really remember when I first got these, um, because I literally, and I still have them, 
like I moved with half of them. The other half are still in my bedroom at my parents' house. Uh, any book that was a collection of scary stories, I wanted it from the Scholastic Book Fair, from the book catalog that came with any money that I made doing anything like I would buy these. Um, and I was just telling a couple different people because on the, um, the podcast, My Favorite Murder, they had someone write in with a story about how on their 13th birthday, they were watching scary movies. You were and- telling me I was in the car hearing this. Yes, but I also told oh, okay. um, other people after that. Sorry. It's okay. I told you many only have people. one friend into me, don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> when we were sitting around the fire in North Carolina, I told this story. <laughs> um, Again, don't think that actually happened. <laughs> they were ghosts. Carry on. <laughs> if I've learned one thing from this book, it's that no one is real, everyone is a ghost. Exactly. Um, so on the girl who wrote into My Favorite Murder told the story of how when she was 13 for her birthday party, they were watching scary movies and her mother, when she went out to pick up pizza, um, told the neighbor like, oh, like the girls are watching scary movies. Like you should go knock on the door and scare them. And they like freaked out and like everyone on the show is saying like, oh my God, like if a parent did that now, they'd be arrested. That's insane. And I'm like, well, my mom and dad did the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my friends and I were would frequently like sit in the dark with only candles lit reading these stories. And one time for my birthday, we had this whole game where after you told every story, you would blow out a different candle until you were telling the last story in the dark. And as I was telling the last story in the dark, uh, a man in a mask comes running around the side of the house. We were sitting on the porch, growling at us. I, like, lost my shit. We all started screaming and running around. And it was my uncle, who my parents had asked to come over and scare us when they heard that this was what we were going to be doing that night. That doesn't sound fun. Characterization entirely true for Kate's parents, if any of you were wondering. Not the one Kate told me the story. Zero no, percent of it was surprising. <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised if your dad was like, I got a chainsaw back. You can run with that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I I read these stories in the So dark. Kate had a brand and it started early. <laughs> Conclusion. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, what I was going to say was I, a few years ago when I was working at a different library, I got asked to partner with a local historical society and tell scary stories in a graveyard, like a historical graveyard. And I was like, fuck, sure, why not? Because um, I, public librarians will know anytime any anybody else wants to partner with you, like librarians are just the, like, the neediest people. And we're like, yes, you want to do something? Yes, I'll do it. I'm coming over right now. I've got... Uh, my car's full of bookmarks. I'm there. Let's go. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll partner with you. Yeah, like, I do storytelling. I'm sure I can find a scary story for this event. And then I was like, fuck, no, I can't. I don't know. So I just, like, panicked and got a bunch of books. And I I did. I pulled out scary stories to tell in the dark. And then I kind of flipped through it. And I was like, none of these are what I want. And they're actually... I mean, the, the art is alarming. And I, I didn't enjoy reading them but it wasn't I mean Becca's right like as an adult you read it and it's not like terrifying but uh, I still I didn't love it I ended up I pulled something out of some other book of folklore and it went fine like it's fine it's not it's not my calling (laughs) yeah the thing and I guess part of it 
part of, uh, when I was reading these as an adult, I was like, oh, they all just kind of end. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way that I find wholly unsatisfying, but in a way that makes sense if you're reading it out loud, but not if you're just reading it in a book. And <laughs> also, I think it makes sense in what Kate's talking about of it being, like, the seed of something. Because there's one, like, may I look in your basket? And it's like, oh, he carries the lady's basket. And then there's, like, a head. And I forget what it is. But, like, it ends with, and then they bit him, and then he disappeared. And I was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> it, just, it just feels incomplete. Like, the, read, the end of it is just always so abrupt to me. And I was like, but, but, okay, and then what? What, how, how do you deal with the fact that this, this head just bit your legs and vanished? And I guess, like, that's what you would make a movie out of. It's like, yes, now there's a denouement. (laughs) And it's like, like, especially the jump scare ones, like, you read it and then the end is just like, and then yell this part. And if you're just reading it to yourself in your room, it's like, just a whole chapter of like, and then yell. And then, ah, it's just, ah, at the end. The ending is, ah. Though, as a kid, I will also say, like, my dad, who was the Boy Scout leader for my brother's Boy Scout group, would tell, um, who stole my golden arm, which is one of those stories. And we would also make him tell it at the, at the dinner table frequently. And my dad is very good at yelling very loudly and making you jump a mile. And, like, the number of times we asked him to do that was probably in the hundreds. <laughs> It's, you know, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I, do we want to talk a little bit about some of the different stories? Sure. Unless we have other things to say, no. generally. I, I mean, I guess I would say, like, t- just thinking of it as, like, you know, germs of these spooky concepts. I think it's a lot like if you think of fairy tales and how if you kind of look at the original ones, or at least, like, if you have just a sort of basic treasury of fairy tales, that's like some basic ass shit. And then you, you know, they're very short, kind of weird and abrupt maybe. And then you, you get the Disney version of it and they've added some talking animals and songs and you're like, okay. Like, I feel like. did not need any more talking animals. Let's not talk about that Mitai Doti Walker dog. What the (laughs) fuck is the point of him? That story makes no sense. No, it really didn't. It didn't. (laughs) Uh, My note on that says, this is just a da-da nonsense exercise that ends with you screaming at your friends. You should just watch it's Billy on the true. Street instead. <laughs> it's true. Um, so the first the first section in the book um, is those jump stories that we were talking about, where at the end you screaming, you scare everyone. Um, and the very first one is called The Big Toe, and it is about a little boy who digs up a toe that his mother uses for soup. Yeah, um, you do. What, what the fuck? <laughs> that is page one well I guess there's an introduction story one of this book and there's a drawing that is upsetting of this boy harvesting <laughs> a toe and the boy's head is too big for his body and he's got like a hoe and the toe is very large I don't know the toe is not that large though because it says they carve it up and feed it to three people that toe could not feed three okay. people I don't it's think it's small for feeding a family of three but large for being a human toe <laughs> And also, as said before, everything is inexplicably dripping. The boy is kind of dripping. The hoe is kind of dripping. This is not that kind of a podcast, Becca, where we talk about dripping hoes. Never <laughs> Listen. mind. <laughs> I mean, You're I guess it is when we it. read erotica. <laughs> Never mind. Complaint re- retracted. <laughs> so some of the other ones in this chapter include the Me Tai Doty Walker one that we were talking about, where... A man stays in a haunted house 
and brings his dog with him um, because a rich man is offering an award, a reward for anyone who can stay the night, which, again, you know, that's Trophy. something that will show up in scary stories for forever. And every night a severed head is supposed to fall down the fireplace. And that night he starts to hear a voice from the fireplace sing Me Tai Dodie Walker. And then his dog, who is with him, sings back Lynchy Kinchy Kali Molly Dingo Dingo. Like, shit, just make them say spooky shit to each other, and then the story is maybe scary. It's just nonsense. There's also one called The Walk, which has just... It, it's very short, and it's just a repetition. You know, it's one of those ones where it's just built up so that you can scream at someone. But the the model of the... The rhythm of the story, the man looked at my uncle, and my uncle looked at the man. The man was scared of my uncle, and my uncle was scared of the man, was something that I imprinted on me very hard, and I still sometimes will use that structure when I'm writing. And I guess the only other one that I want to mention in this section, obviously if other people want to mention other ones, like, let's go for it, is uh, The Old Woman, All Skin and Bones, which is a song. Uh, and all of the like songs... It, like a in- song like it has sheet music in it. Yes. Like, this book is a weird hodgepodge. <laughs> um, and all of the songs that are in these books are songs that we would sing in my elementary school around Halloween. We would beg our chorus teacher to let us sing them. Like, usually <laughs> there was one day around Halloween where we would sing all, like, the nonsense Halloween songs, including this one. And our chorus teacher, when I was in elementary school, was very strict and very mean, and we were all a little bit afraid of him. But usually, like, around, as October started, like, some of the kids who were more ballsy would, like, get up the courage to be like, you know, Mr. Cortese, when are we going to sing all the Halloween songs? Like, when are we going to do Halloween song day? And then he would yell at them, and then eventually we would get to sing them. Great. Yes. Um, The only, I just, there's another one, it's called A Man Who Lived in Leeds. It's dumb, but I just want to point out that the book's introduction to it is, some say this rhyme doesn't mean anything. Others are not so sure. <laughs> Which is just a kind of like, this is nonsense and I'm draping some fancy nonsense on it. Let's move on. I don't know. <sighs> uh, so the next section is about ghosts in theory, although who fucking knows. There is one in here that I particularly like because it is one that like is told over and over and over again um, that I see in so many different incarnations. Uh, and the idea of it is that there's a girl who falls in love with a poor farmer and her father doesn't want her to marry the poor farmer. So she sends he sends the girl to live with an uncle and the boy, the farmer dies and the dad is afraid to tell her. So he doesn't. And then one night the farmer shows up at her uncle's house and says like, oh, like there's an emergency. You have to go home right now. And she goes with him and it's like, oh my God, you're so cold and gives him her scarf. And then the next morning when she gets there, her dad is like, uh, he's dead. And they go back outside and he's not there. And they go to his grave and her scarf is lying on top of the grave. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Yeah. I thought it was on his body. Whatever. Might've been on his body. Um, I think in this version. Yeah. But it's like you said, it's a common yeah. Yeah, yeah. story. 
Um, and what was interesting to me in the version that was in this book is there's no actual reason that he is going to get the girl. The farmer's going to get the girl. He doesn't do anything bad to her. He doesn't give her any sort of special message. And there isn't anything going on at home. And the more common variation that I've seen of this is that, you know, her father is in danger at home. Like there is something terrible that she needs to be aware of and needs to be fetched for. And that he is, you know, it, it's used to show like how selfless and good this man was that even though her family shunned him, like he went and got her when they needed her because he knew that that was where she needed to be. Even though he was dead and it was a real hassle. Yes. <laughs> so that was just a note from me that I thought it was interesting that that was not actually... And I also like that at the end, they're like, isn't it that the one where they're like, they see the horse, they find the horse that they rode together and the horse is like, freak the fuck out. And I'm like, yeah, how did that happen? I want to hear about him trying to get on this horse as a dead man. <laughs> and this horse is like, don't you even fucking dare. I, I think that I, I'm not as familiar with other ghost stories for obvious reasons, but uh, <laughs> um, I think that is, you know, this is aimed at children, and some of that, I think, has led to these stories being simplified to a point where, as I guess I have said, and Becca has said maybe, they seem kind of pointless and weird. So, like, with, with this one, it's just for no reason a, a visit, or, like, later there's one about a Wendigo, which, like, is a thing from First Nations, Nations mythology that is based on cannibalism and that is not in this wendigo story it's just sort of like oh it's like a woods monster it's a wendigo but they left out sort of the core of the wendigo story um actually oh my god are you gonna <laughs> are you gonna wendigo actually me please a little bit um that was a little further along but let's let's jump to that it was it was just the I... one that jumped to my mind as like something that i felt had something left out of it although it is not in this section if i recall correctly um, I did not research this before this. There is a split in the Wendigo story, and there are some areas where it is, like, a just a cannibalism-based thing that is very different than this, like, creature that takes a person. And then was, kind of... Okay, I was just recently reading wiki pages about the Wendigo because of the Wolverine podcast, but I... It was... <laughs> listen <laughs> we all have our, our brands and our things and this is why i specifically recently was looking into the wendigo um but and also there's specifically marvel wendigo canon versus like the creature wendigo so okay yes. i'll buy that there's multiples yeah so there there is a split and then in the Wendigo that has become very popularized in, like, American pop culture is the idea that if you have to resort to cannibalism, you turn into this creature, the Wendigo. And the other story is... I can't remember. I mean, it's very similar, I think, to, like, what the story is that's told here. But the kind of the core is that this thing takes you and then kind of assumes your identity in the woods. Mm -hmm. So people will, like, see a thing they think is you, but really it's this creature. But yeah, uh, in this particular section also is a very, very classic haunted house story uh, about a preacher who goes to stay in a haunted house that keeps, the ghost keeps scaring away everyone else who tries to stay there. And he is very strong and, like, lets confronts the ghost. And it's this poor woman who says, like... I was murdered and my body was buried in the cellar. And if you rebury my bones in the graveyard, like I will be at peace. And also 
if you take my pinky bone and put it in the collection plate at church, you will be able to find who my killer was and he can be brought to justice. And it, the, the pinky bone bit is a really interesting Shout detail. out to every other person in that church who was like taking a collection plate and was just like, someone only got a pinky bone to get today. <laughs> <laughs> Guess just, just pass it along. <laughs> like, like, oh God. <laughs> But especially this idea that there are people who are, you know, more moral or more pure who the ghosts, A, like a ghost sticking around for revenge is very classic and because they have unfinished business, but also the idea that there are people who are more like moral and true and pure who ghosts don't have any problems with and are much more willing to like confront and talk to. You know, it's also another... You know, like when everyone talks to the kid in the success. <laughs> <laughs> it is another, another you know, trope that, that recurs. Okay, in addition to the, the finger in the collection plate being very upsetting, that has maybe one of the most upsetting arts that also mm-hmm. doesn't seem that real... I don't know, I guess it's just sort of like a scary ghost, but it's not like specific. It's just like, oh, this is horrible. Well, I mean, it fits, it fits what the text says. That um, Wait, her hair was torn and tangled, the flesh was dripping off her face, Ugh, so I... he could see bones and parts of her teeth. She had no eyeballs no, in her right. eye socket and you're no right. nose. I hate it. I hate it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk to you about the story in the third book about the girl with the pimple on her face. Oh my god, that is the image that, that is... has haunted me the most. <laughs> It's a very short story where she's like, oh, wakes up, and she's like, oh, I've got this pimple, and pimple keeps getting bigger, and her mom's like, it's all right, it'll be okay eventually, and then, you know, it just bursts, because it's a spider egg sac, and spider crawls over her face, and there is a drawing of that, of course. No. (laughs) Yeah, it's very bad. (laughs) Well, moving on to the next section. The next section is maybe the one I want to talk about the most. Okay. Uh, so the next section starts off with a variation of the Hearst song, which of course we all know. Which of course and we actually, all know. Interestingly, <laughs> yeah. What's funny is like I know all the words to all these songs from this book. I don't know the tune to a single one of them. Interesting. Yep. I can't sing, or else I would sing them for you. I'm mortified at the idea of singing on a podcast. Oh, Caitlin, uh-huh. singing about spooky shit. <laughs> I don't. Okay. First of all, I hated the Hearst song. Second of all, I don't think. <laughs> I hated it so much. Second of all, I don't think I've heard this before in my life. I don't know. That is, it is, like, not, even knowing that you don't like spooky things, it is so shocking to me that you don't know this. I mean, I only know it from these books. Where, where, Because obviously I would have heard the tune and, like, known it in real life. I only know it from reading it in these books. Is it set to something? Is it set to, like, I don't know. I mean, it has has its own tune, the Hearst song. Oh, I do say no. Yeah, the right. song. it has sheet music in it. Um, I don't know how to read music. I don't know what this means. I don't know. All right, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> if I say so, you have to edit this out. I am 100% not joking. Did you ever laugh as the hearse goes by? For you may be the next to die. They'll wrap you in a bloody sheet from your head down to your feet. They'll put you in a big black box and cover you with dirt and rocks. All goes well for about a week. Then your coffin begins okay, to Okay, you have leak. to stop. You have to stop. It gets so gross and I hate out. it. <laughs> <laughs> the part about how you eat yourself. You know, that's great. Your singing was fine. It's disgusting. This is maybe the most disgusting thing in this book. 
A big green worm with rolling no. eyes goes through your stomach and out your no. eyes. I'm taking my headphones off. <laughs> your body turns a steamy green and pus pours out like whipping cream. You spread it on a slice of bread and that's what you eat when you are dead. No. <laughs> I'm done now. Okay, I'm done singing. Um, I literally did it. It made... I could hear you, kind of. Um, oh, it makes me nauseous. It's disgusting. <laughs> I know, like, five different versions of it. I know. I think it's funny, too, because I also read all three of them again for this podcast, because I was like, whatever, it'll take me a few hours. Because um, the third one ends with the Hearst song, too. Yes. And I'm like, wait, we already did this one. Is it, um, but is it a different variation, or it is it the is, same? I mean, it's only one page. It is. It- even, like, Kate, when you were singing, clearly from memory or whatever, you, you said a bloody sheet, and the book says white sheet. So you made it yeah. even grosser. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the one in the third one is, they wrap you in a big white sheet from your head down to your feet, and the worms crawl in, and the worms crawl out in your stomach, and out your no. snout, and your eyes fall out, your teeth decay, and that is the end, end of a perfect day. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever wondering why these books were so on brand for Caitlin, <laughs> that is how she feels. Ugh. Yeah, it is. I like. I am genuinely surprised that you guys never heard them as songs because they no. were definitely something that like was sung like not even just like on the playground. Maybe and... this is a thing like Bonfire Night, and it only happens in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Your diners are open twenty four seven, and they're covered in pus oh. toast. Oh, mischief, mischief night! Mischief night! Mischief sorry, night. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. I don't know if Bonfire Sorry. is, but Mischief Night, yes, only really happens in New Jersey. Uh, it's possible that this is <laughs> this is part of that. Just the I thing think, that is Bonfire like... Night British. I think maybe, yeah. Anyway, no, I don't think I've ever like the tune of it sounds sort of familiar, but I, uh, not with these words. Like maybe there's something totally different. We'll we'll do a, a Wikipedia deep dive on the Hearst song and figure out if it has origins with other songs, and that's why you know the tune. <sighs> And where am I come from? Ugh. All right. Um, so what else do we have in this section? We've got uh, the girl who is frightened to death after being dared to stand on a grave because the knife she's told to put in the ground to prove that she was there uh, gets caught in her skirt and she thinks that someone is coming out from the grave to keep her from leaving. And she dies of fright. Yep. Yeah, that's very goth. Okay. Then there's two of these, like, weird animal transformation stories uh, that I didn't like either one of them. <laughs> the horse illustration always got me. The, hor- the horse <laughs> one is one the one heel. where my note says, is this a fetish thing? <laughs> Well, okay. It's about a young man who a witch in his is turning him into a horse and riding him around at night, and then he figures out how she's doing it. So he, it's with like a magic bridle and spell, and so he figures out and he turns her into a horse and rides her. But then he scales up one and takes her to a blacksmith and gets like real horseshoes put in her feet, and then she turns back to a human woman and she has. And then yeah, he sells sells her oh, to her oh, husband. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah, my God. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, let me take care of this horse and takes the bridle off, the bridle that is keeping her a horse, and then there's just his wife with horseshoes nailed into her hands and feet. You know, like a normal. Yes. What the fuck? Um, so then immediately after that is the alligator story where a woman uh, marries a man and she really likes him, but every night 
he leaves the house and goes swimming all night and comes back in the morning and she thinks this is weird she's like kind of lonely and at one point like she has two kids and she's just kind of fed up because she doesn't want her husband to leave every night and go swimming and then he starts taking the kids as well and then she starts telling all the people in town that her son and children turn into alligators and they want her to turn into an alligator too so the townsfolk commit her and when she comes out, when she is finally released, like her husband and sons are gone, but there are like, there is a big alligator and two little alligators that are seen in the marshes or whatever. Well, and, and the townspeople say like, and alligators don't even live here. Like they're not native to that area. Yes. They're not had a very good note for this story. Oh yeah. It's, it's a bad Animorphs book. <laughs> <laughs> My least favorite Animorphs. <laughs> it, it makes me, the very specific of specific circumstances of it make me think of that Mabim Bam goof where they're, how long do you have to be stuck as an animal before it's kosher to have sex with another yeah. animal? <laughs> oh, it's one hour and 58 minutes. You still twins. Oh, no, must have, your watch must be wrong. <laughs> I'm a lion forever. I gotta go fuck a lion. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's this. <laughs> so, okay. Let me ask you. When you when you were children reading this, did you like the horse and alligator story? Like, how did you react to these? I mean, they were all just, like, weird, creepy shit. There wasn't anything... Like, even now, like, they're weird and funny, but they don't strike me as particularly more weird than most other weird shit, I guess. The what? I, but, I can't speak but, for Becca. But the horseshoes nailed to her hands? Her <laughs> yeah, I didn't like hands? that one. But I did think it was very sweet, because, like, what the story actually is, it's two farmhands share a room, and the one by the door is like, oh my god, this witch rides me around town every night. And the other guy was like, well, I'll sleep in your bed tonight, and then she'll come and change me, and we can see if we can figure this out. And I'm like, aw, way to be a bro. Yeah, that's true. They are good bros. <laughs> They've got that going for them. <laughs> Solve that problem for your friend real good. <laughs> Too good. <laughs> well, uh, also in this section is Room for One More, which is a classic, uh, where a man wakes up in the middle of the night and sees a hearse filled with people pull up outside and the driver leans out and says... Like, do you want to join us? There's room for one more. And he's like, no, I don't want to join your creepy night hearse. And then the next morning, he's in a tall building and he's getting ready to take the elevator down and the elevator stops. And the gentleman at the front says, there's room for one more. And it is the hearse driver from last night. So the dude's freaked out and says like, oh, no, I'll get the next one. And then everyone in that elevator dies. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then the Wendigo that we already talked about, and of course the Dead Man's Brains, everyone's favorite weirdo heart party game. Gross. Uh, did you? Yeah, Renata, did you ever play the Dead Man's Brains? Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> are you saying are you kidding me because you did or because you didn't? <laughs> no, of course I didn't. Oh my God, Renata, this was a, a haunted house staple. 
There was always a room where you went through blindfolded and had to feel all the dead body parts. Oh my god, Becca, you think I was going into haunted houses? <laughs> <laughs> Those are things that just happened to you as a child. You never planned to go, it's just suddenly you're I, in well, one. Okay, I did go in some haunted hayrack rides, because I am from the Midwest. Um, but there you're you on go. the hayrack, and so you're protected. There's no, you can't... <laughs> There's none of this. <laughs> no one's no one's throwing peeled grapes up there like, they're eyeballs, they're eyeballs. No, there's like stuff in the woods, but you're on the hay rack and they can't touch you. Um, so I've done that. I've done historical haunted houses. I've done historical ghost tours. I've done drunk ghost tours. All of those things are fine. I will never put my hand in a bowl of eyeballs. I mean, I... <laughs> it's the only time I've ever held liver. No, no, no. <laughs> No, I mean, I've heard of that. Like, my mom would tell me, like, oh, when I was a kid, we would do this at parties. And I was like, fuck you, mom. <laughs> no, that's not fun. Even even just, okay, I eat, like, a lot of oatmeal because I'm an adult. And just reading this made me think, like, oh, maybe I should just never eat oatmeal again. Like, <laughs> just thinking about having to touch it and think of something like oh my god <laughs> this is this is all too much <laughs> which uh, we didn't i mean clearly you probably picked up from context but if you've never played the dead man's brains it's like you put on a blindfold and people have like all these different foodstuffs out and they make you touch it and say oh well this is the dead man's there's peels grapes and they're like this is the dead man's eyeballs and there's like what are they spaghetti and they're like these are this is his hair and well, the spaghetti is the worms the worms that sorry, are eating him and you use like corn silk and you're like it's his yes. hair and like warmed up watered down ketchup and it's like this is his warm blood it's still beating from his heart yeah so you just touch a bunch of gross foodstuffs and that maybe grossed me out more than the thought that it was actually like a dead guy i was like i just touched liver like clearly this is stuck with me because i mentioned it twice in the past three minutes yeah i i think for me like stuff like this and like the toe one and the finger bones like there's two different things like i don't like uh, you know the body horror or like gore or whatever but then i also just don't like things that are sort of generally gross and so just like touching a bowl of ketchup like that's just gross on its own i don't oh <laughs> my god <sighs> Next Halloween party, we're playing Dead Man's Brains right now. <laughs> I am busy. <laughs> I send my regrets. <laughs> so the chapter after this um, is more modern stories that um, really speak to kind of the dangers of technology and new things in the world. It's kind of like a proto-Black Mirror. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I would necessarily describe it as such, but yeah, it, the way you're saying it, it does make it sound like Black Mirror. <laughs> um, like, the first one is the the hook for the hand, where they get notice that, like, a lunatic has escaped the, as uh, the asylum, or a criminal has escaped the jail, and he's got a hook for a hand, be on the lookout, and the two teenagers necking at lookout point are like, oh, like, we should go home, and... The girl's like, oh, I keep hearing a scraping sound. And the boy's like, girls are nah, crazy. Babe, nah, babe. <laughs> and when they go home, he goes to open the door for her. And the hook is just, the bloody hook is stuck in the door. Because the man was trying to get into their car. Dun, dun, dun. You know, which that's obviously one that's been used again and again and again. And also always makes me think of the real life murders in um, Texarkana that were... Someone get hook hand killed? 
No. But I don't care. But they were, <laughs> like, it was teenagers. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> teenagers being stalked at lookout point. Well, I mean, that's just what anyone over the age of, like, 30 would do. They're just like, fucking stop it. Get out of here. This is private property. Um, the Texarkana murders are still unsolved. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so the other classic one in there is the girl has to rent a uh, prom dress from a pawn shop, and it turns out that it was formerly used on a corpse, and over the course of her dancing and perspiring, the embalming fluid has entered her system and killed her. Uh, I like that one. The dead girl's dress. spooky. Yeah. Well, also, I, I just like don't one. think that's how that works. I don't think so either. Reading that now, I was like, mm, but yeah. it's still spooky. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, it's like one of those old wives tales where your grandmother's like, don't do that because you never know. I mean, that was like the fucking basis of a house episode later. <laughs> no, these jeans you bought off the back of a van was had pesticide <laughs> on them. And that's why you were all getting sick. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> These stories, they live on. (laughs) There's also the high beam story, which is one of my favorites. Yes. And one that I still think of all the time, where the girl uh, leaves a basketball game and she notices that a pickup truck leaves the, the parking lot the same time as her. And, you know, that's fine. Maybe they're going in the same direction. But then when she turns on to, like, the secluded back road to get to her house, the truck does, too. And it starts putting its high beams on. It'll put them on for a minute and then turn them off. And then a couple minutes later, put them on again for a minute and then turn them off. And it follows her all the way home. And she's like freaking out that this person is going to murder her. So when she pulls into her driveway, she like runs out to call the police. And the truck pulls in behind her and says, yes, call the police. There's a man with a knife in the back of your car. And he kept every time he went to go stab you, I would turn my high beams on to scare him. Um, He would duck down so no one would see him. Yeah. And this is why I always think there's a murder in the back of Caitlin's car. (laughs) And why I always think we're going to get murdered whenever anyone has their high beams on. (laughs) To this day. Um, And the last one in this section? I think it's the last one. Yes. Is the classic, the call is coming from inside your house, mm-hmm. babysitter story. And even this poor babysitter who was just like, maybe the most normal looking person in this book, illustration wise, she got this baby <laughs> that's got three times as much head as it should, <laughs> and her proportions aren't right either, and they just still look creepy. That They're not particularly dripping, for once. They're a little drippy. <laughs> just everyone is unsettling. Yes. Uh, so then we're on to the very last section, which is the funny <laughs> stories. Not I didn't like them. <laughs> well, they're not that funny. <laughs> I think I, the fact that you didn't like the Viper, like that is the only one that I think is legitimately funny. I love the Viper. Which I'll, I'm going to be reading that as, as dramatic reading, so we won't go into it. You'll hear the whole story. It's great. But, like, the attic one where he's just like, oh, I hear sounds, and I went into the attic, and then he's, it ends with, you know, jump at your friend and go, ah! And then I like that it goes, at this point, the storyteller stops as if he is finished. Then usually someone will ask, why did Rupert scream? The storyteller replies, you'd scream too if you stepped on a nail in your bare feet. But that presupposes that someone is asking that question every single time you read one of the stories from the first section of the book. Because it ends the same fucking way. <laughs> so what's the answer then? 
Because of murder. Murder. <laughs> because they just put their hand in a bowl of ketchup and they didn't like it. Yeah, that's that's legit. <laughs> you know, I think I think you could just imagine that every story in the world, like beyond the last page, that's how it really ends. Like <laughs> then, uh, I don't know. Jane Bennett put her hand in a bowl of ketchup, and that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> that's the true end of Pride and Prejudice, and we just didn't know. Sounds right. Asked. <laughs> and we've also got. The cockblocker widower. That one is so funny. Reading that as an adult, just because it's like, oh, this man came to romance her, and then he was like, nah, peace. Yeah. And it was like, wait, we just went through all this work. A man dies and <laughs> is buried, but he decides he's like doesn't really want to be dead because it's boring. So he gets out of his grave and goes back home to like where his wife and family are in mourning, and he's like, I don't just don't feel like being dead, and they can't get rid of him, and like a guy comes to town to romance the wife and he's a fiddler and so like he plays the fiddle and the corpse dances and like finally dances so much that he breaks into pieces but like the fiddler is like i'm out like you're weird and i'm not marrying you sorry the head is just dances on top of the pile of bones ho ho said the head bone ain't we having fun the fiddler couldn't stand it widow he said I'm going home. And he never came back. Like, you just played the fiddle so much a man fell apart. I thought you were invested. <laughs> nope. Can't trust a man, guys. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real moral of these stories. And there's Wait Till Martin Comes, which we're not as going to read. Because right. it's about cats. Mm -hmm. So this is as close to her brand as we <laughs> <Yeah>. can get. <laughs> And um, the ghost with bloody fingers. Where He's very drippy in this illustration. Yes. He's maybe the drippiest. A uh, a hotel has a room they can never rent because it's always, it's haunted and people always like leave in the middle of the night and they rent it to a businessman who claims ghosts don't scare him and he leaves in the middle of the night when a ghost shows up going bloody fingers, bloody fingers, and they rent it to another woman and... She leaves during the night because a ghost shows up and starts going bloody fingers, bloody fingers. And then they rent it to some hipster dude who starts playing his guitar as soon as he gets into the room. And when the ghost comes and starts saying bloody fingers, bloody fingers, he just says, well, they get a Band-Aid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that guitar player humor. Yes. <laughs> the notes are very interesting. And the sources, like, this is a book, this was probably the first book I've read as a child that had, like, notes and an afterword and, like, a bibliography and information on all of the sources, which I really appreciated. I did, like, look up some of the books that were listed in the bibliography as a child, because wow. I'm great. normal. But yeah, those are very interesting to read as an adult, because it just goes into the actual, like, the folklore, like, here are the different versions of this story that have been told and where it originates, and it, it is interesting. But I don't think I read it when I was seven. Yeah, my, my favorite bit is, if you wish to see or hear a ghost, these are some recommended approaches. Look back over your left shoulder. Look through either one of a mule's ears. Look in a mirror with another person. Arrange six pure white dinner plates around a table. Then go to a cemetery at noon and call the name of someone you once knew who was buried there. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious about that with the six plates. Yeah. Who comes? Does he bring friends? <laughs> That's too many ghosts. I'm only looking to meet one. Um, I have to tell you a quick story about we have a we have a board game collection at the library, including a Ouija board, and the teens love it. And the other day, a couple girls were using the Ouija board, and they were like, "Okay, uh, what's what's the spirit's name? Like, ooh, spell, tell us your name." And then they said they 
determined that the spirit's name was Sophie. Yeah, they were like, oh, it's Sophie Turner. And my coworker and I were like, wait, like the, like the actress? <laughs> and they appara- they weren't like, oh, it's like the famous one. And we think they just sort of like pulled that name out of, like it must have been in their collective consciousness. But they're sort of, you know, they were like younger tweens, so they probably just had heard the name and don't really know who Sophie Turner is. <laughs> but they kept calling the ghost they were talking to Sophie Turner, and it made us laugh. And Sophie Turner was telling Excellent. them some pointless shit. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> we were sounds like, like how ghosts do. if you're talking to Sophie Turner, could you have her like send over Hugh Jackman? We would love that. <laughs> but she didn't. So now I got beef of the ghost of the living Sophie Turner. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> anyway, that's what I know about contacting ghosts. Apathies. I mean, they're just they're they're just they're iconic. That's what they are. I can't... You don't know what else to say about them. Yeah, I, I can't argue. The fact they're great. I can't argue with that designation. I just don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't think of anything more to say, should we do some dramatic readings? Yes, let's do some dramatic readings. I guess I go first. Do it. So I am doing High Beams. Too spoopy. And I will read it for you now. The girl driving the old blue sedan was a senior at the high school. She lived on a farm about eight miles away and used the car to drive back and forth. She had driven into town that night to see a basketball game. Now she was on her way home. As she pulled away from the school, she noticed a red pickup truck follow her out of the parking lot. A few minutes later, the truck was still behind her. I guess we're going in the same direction, she thought. She began to watch the truck in her mirror. When she changed her speed, the driver of the truck changed his speed. When she passed a car, so did he. Then, he turned on his high beams, flooding her car with light. He left them on for almost a minute. He probably wants to pass me, she thought, but she was becoming uneasy. Usually, she drove home over a back road. Not too many people went that way. But when she turned onto that road, so did the truck. I've got to get away from him, she thought, and she began to drive faster. Then he turned his high beams on again. After a minute, he turned them off. Then he turned them on again and off again. She drove even faster, but the truck driver stayed right behind her. Then he turned his high beams on again. Once more, the car was ablaze with light. What is he doing? She wondered. What does he want? Then he turned them off again. But a minute later, he had them on again, and he left them on. At last, she pulled into her driveway, and the truck pulled right behind her. She jumped from the car and ran to the house. Call the police, she screamed at her father. Out in the driveway, she could see the driver of the truck. He had a gun in his hand. When the police arrived, they started to arrest him, but he pointed to the girl's car. You don't want me, he said. You want him. Crouched behind the driver's seat, there was a man with a knife. As the driver of the truck explained it, the man slipped into the girl's car just before she left the school. He saw it happen, but there was no way he could stop it. He thought about getting the police, but he was afraid to leave her, so he followed the car. Each time the man in the back reached up to overpower her, the driver of the truck turned on his high beams. Then the man dropped down, afraid that someone might see him. No one's safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't get into cars. Trust no one. I think Becca's next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Alright, I'm gonna read The Viper. And it was definitely my favorite one as a kid. Because I didn't like to be too scared, just a little scared. A widow lived alone on the top floor of an apartment house. One morning, her telephone rang. Hello, she said. This is the Viper, a man said. I'm coming up. Somebody is fooling around, she thought, and hung up. A half hour later, the telephone rang again. It was the same man. It's the Viper, he said. I'll be up soon. The widow didn't know what to think, but she was getting frightened. Once more, the telephone rang. Again, it was the Viper. I'm coming up now, he said. She quickly called the police. They said they would be right over. When the doorbell rang, she sighed with relief. They're here, she thought. But when she opened the door, there stood a little old man with a bucket and a cloth. I'm the viper, he said. I wish to wash and wipe the windows. <laughs> Becca, I will say, with your accent added, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> This was one that was included in some, like, movie that I actually spent, like, an hour looking up this morning that I've already forgotten the name. Campfire Thrillers, which the idea is, like, there's these kids who find this dude who uh, is supposed to be, like, a magic storyteller, and he tells them three stories that are all, if they're not, like, they're very similar to this sort of, like, folklore creepy shit, and one of them is the Viper. I love it. I love him. All right. Well, I'm, I'm up now. I've got, I'm going to read you Wait Till Martin Comes. And this has an illustration that is perhaps the least melty. And I like mm. it very much because it's just three cats with but weird again, looking like, faces. Everyone's disproportionate. Yeah, yeah, they're weird, but they actually kind of look like that cat that was going around Twitter because it has a human looking face. Yeah. Um, but not in an unreasonably upsetting way. Just in like, oh, these are some weird cats. But I love all cats, including weird ones. Aww. Okay, so wait till Martin comes. An old man was out for a walk. When a storm came up, he looked for a place to take shelter. Soon he came to an old house. He ran up on the porch and knocked on the door, but nobody answered. By now, rain was pouring down, thunder was booming, and lightning was flashing. So he tried the door. When he found it was unlocked, he went inside. Except for a pile of wooden boxes, the house was empty. He broke up some of the boxes and made a fire with them. Then he sat down in front of the fire and dried himself. It was so warm and cozy that he fell asleep. When he woke up, a black cat was sitting near the fire. It stared at him for a while. Then it purred. That's a nice cat, he thought, and dozed off again. When he opened his eyes, there was a second cat in the room. But this one was as big as a wolf. It looked at him very closely, and it asked, Shall we do it now? No, said the other cat. Let's wait till Martin comes. I must be dreaming, thought the old man. He closed his eyes again. Then he took another look. But now there was a third cat in the room, and this one was as big as a tiger. It looked the old man over, and it asked, Shall we do it now? No, said the others. Let's wait till Martin comes. The old man jumped up, jumped out the window, and started running. When Martin comes, you tell him I couldn't wait, he called. Uh, that's. But I wonder what all those cats were going to do. I think they probably just all wanted to like curl up and have a good cuddle. But... Would it be bad or good if Duarte could talk? 
I mean, he's very chatty as is. <laughs> Which I just think means he would probably just try to wake you up even more at night and be like, listen to me. <laughs> but instead it would be English and it would be harder to tune out than cat noises. <laughs> Renata! 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 <laughs> Renata, I'm hungry! Renata! <laughs> that is what my life is already. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I, I mean, I think sometimes it might be actually helpful because he, he does do that. But then I'm like, oh, your dish is full. And I think if he could be like, I just want fresh food or I just want canned food or I just want you to pay attention to me. I think if he could be a little more clear, that would be good. I think he definitely would be like saying some fucked up things, though. He'd probably have to tell you a lot about how he's just waiting for you to die so he can eat yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. That might be hard to hear so often. Yeah, I mean, like, I assume it, but it's it's fine not to be reminded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good talk, good talk. <laughs> anyway, it, of all, like, most, you know, most horror movies or whatever, like, oh, don't go in the house, don't do it. This one, I'm like, oh, no, that's how I would die. <laughs> <laughs> Just murdered by the giant purring talking cats. It's fine. <laughs> This this is not one of the would you rather if you asked me like an open ended yeah. would you rather be murdered by talking cats or anything else I'd be like yeah that's fine <laughs> <laughs> sounds true uh so let's uh let's move on to would you rather yes all right um I guess one of them actually kind of is is the scenario I've posed but uh, I will ask instead would you rather step on a nail in an attic or be visited by cats of increasing size. This one's rough because <laughs> stepping on a nail is one of those like weird fears that I have. Like anytime, you know, I'm obviously a person who can read shit like this and who's like, oh yeah, like the woman was turned into a horse or like, yeah, like I'm watching Hannibal and he's eating that man's leg and that's fine. But more than fine. It looks delicious. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't always look so good. Um... But, like, when I'm watching a movie and someone steps on a nail, like, that is one of those, like, visceral, like, oh, no. Like, anytime anyone gets a needle, I can't watch it in, like, we're watching ER, and I can't. They're like, start an IV. I'm like, nope. Can't watch that. So, so the nail um, bothers me, but also I'm very allergic to cats, so I can only imagine that being surrounded by so many cats who were, had so much fur would not be great for me. So... Is, is your tetanus shot up to date? Yes. That's good. Um, if I'm visited by the cats of large size, can I do what the old man in the story does and jump out the window and run away? Yeah, sure. It just says you're just visited. They're not okay, even talking murderous cats. They're just increasing in size in this scenario. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the cats then in an interesting twist. Mm. Wow. Stepping on a nail is guaranteed to be bad, whereas visiting by cat visited by cats of increasing size would probably make me anxious, <laughs> but it's not guaranteed to turn out poorly. <laughs> but I do have this fear that I bring up every time people talk about like those islands in Japan where they're like, there's a, there's just covered in bunnies. It's so great. Wouldn't you want all those? No, I don't want all those bunnies all over me because 60 bunnies could take me. <laughs> 
I could be easily killed, I think, by 60 bunnies. <laughs> Just like I think I could be killed by a bunch of feral cats very easily. That is to the point where there's too many animals. So as long as it was like five cats, like I, I'd be okay. I'd be a little stressed, but mostly be fine. I'd probably pet the littlest one and just be like, you gotta keep me safe. <laughs> All right. I don't feel that way about that Island of Bunnies, by the way. So I'm like the only one, but it's just, I on think the I'm Island the only of Bunnies person. and you want to invite us to do a live show, please do it. Thank you. I think the only person who lives on those islands are the bunnies. Well, yeah. that's the point. Yeah. If you live like the next island over and you've got like a fairy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So in my childhood, I didn't read this book. I never, you know, watch these movies or whatever. I did step on nails multiple times. Because <laughs> we lived, uh, we had a barn, and you know, you know how barns are. <laughs> really safe, fun places for children to run around in. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, it's not great, you're right, but it it is livable. But obviously, I'd rather be visited by cats of increasing size. Sure. And if there's a service right now where I could just, like, click, <laughs> bring them over. Bring me these cats of increasing size right now. And that's all I would say about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about... Wait till martincomes.com, coming soon. <laughs> oh. How about, would you rather have your spouse turn into a horse or an alligator? I'm going with horse because I feel like in this scenario, I would be a much better wife to my wife than the man in the story was to his wife. And we would discuss this whole horse turning into bridal thing. And I mean, I feel like there's a lot of advantages to that, to having like someone be a horse that you could, because maybe sometimes she could turn me into a horse, like if she needed to. I think that's fine. I think an alligator would probably try to eat me. My answer is neither. Nope. <laughs> would you they rather? Sound bad. You have That's to. That's not how would you rather I mean, works. It would be. I'd rather not. I think that is actually how it works. <laughs> Isn't there's a whole story? <laughs> I'd rather not. Um, I mean, an alligator simply because like, I would be like, well, that person's not in my life anymore. It's an alligator and I will never think of them again and I'm going to move far away from it. Whereas a horse, I would feel some kind of obligation to. I'm like, now I'm in charge of this horse. <laughs> my poor spouse. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I don't know anything about taking care of horses. I don't like them. Their heads are too big. <laughs> but for some reason, I could be like, well, goodbye. Enjoy your alligator life. <laughs> But not enjoy your horse life. Yeah, I guess now that I think about it, I'm not changing my answer, but I am incredibly allergic to horses. <laughs> I didn't know that one. Yeah, I mean, like, where are you gonna where are you gonna put the horse? I mean, I guess it's sort of te temporary. Where are you going to put the alligator in the sewer? <laughs> I mean, you just you take the bridle off. Like that's where you put the horse. You put it in your bed with you at night when you take the bridle off. Oh dear. See, then it is, I think, into strange fetish territory. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a human again. It's not like you're like, oh, Mr. Ed, get in bed. You that still right. have to take okay, the bridle okay, off your Okay, okay, I'm saying alligator just to move on. Uh, would you rather... <laughs> I don't even want to say this. <laughs> you want me to read it? Yes. <laughs> Do you rather eat pus on toast or eat at steaks and cakes? I think everyone knows the answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting because I wasn't sure about Kate, to be honest. <laughs> Kate was, in fact, the, uh, I, the wild card. I now. did almost say, yes, pus on toast, just for the joke. 
because <laughs> I thought it would be funny, but no. Obviously, Steaks and Cakes, they're our wonderful sponsor. They provide us with so many steaks and so much cake. And there's... You can make a cake... Well, Renata wouldn't like it, but Kate would if you made a cake that looked like pus, pus on, on toast. toast. She'd be very into it. Ugh. But... <laughs> <laughs> what? If, <laughs> I know what the answer is. The answer is Renata wouldn't come. What if I made the Halloween party this year just based on the scary stories? Oh my god! <laughs> you have to get so many cats of increasing size, Caitlin. <laughs> oh, I will come. For, that will be my Halloween costume. <laughs> oh my I'll god! Just, I love every it. Every hour, I'll inflate my costume and become a larger cat. <laughs> <laughs> if you managed to do this, you would win. You would win the costume contest. Uh, I, I think we all know I have historically not shown that much dedication to costume construction. <laughs> but I'll think about it. Uh, Alright, that was Would You Rather. It was disgusting. Let's move on to Reader's <laughs> Advisory, where we'll suggest some things to read instead of or in addition to these. Probably in addition to, because probably you already read these, unless you are me. Um. So right off the bat, my number one recommendation... Uh, which I've recommended on this podcast before and actually was one of the one of my top books that I read a couple years ago, I think, uh, is Ghostland, An American History in Haunted Places by Colin Dickey. Uh, it is an incredibly engaging, interesting book um, where he, it starts off, like each section starts off with him telling a particular American ghost story. Um, some of them are like this, where it's just like a very like stripped down, bare bones, basic, everyone knows this kind of story. Some of them are more specific, like he talks about the Winchester Mystery House, uh, and then goes into the actual history behind the stories, um, the reasoning behind why the stories were created in the first place, based on things like the political climate, um, you know, the misogyny or racism at the time, all sorts of different things, and kind of goes through American history through telling these stories and goes into why we like to tell these kind of stories. And it's, it is great. I cannot recommend it enough. The audiobook is fantastic as well. And if you are at all interested in this kind of stuff, like, absolutely pick it up if you haven't already. Um, so there are a ton of books for kids that are compilations of scary stories. Um, most of them are slightly more complicated than the ones in here. Because uh, as we've said multiple times, these are, you know, very basic, like, folklore, down to the brass tacks, kind of, where these stories come from. But there were all sorts of series that were coming out, especially in the 80s and 90s, that were just compilations of short stories. Uh, there was the Scary Stories for Sleepovers series, the Tales for the Midnight Hour series. Uh, there's a really good book called The Dark Thirty by Patricia McKissick, which is a collection of ghost stories that are set and based on mythology from the American South. And that is when, like, obviously these illustrations have stuck with me, but also the cover of that book was so creepy to me as a kid. But moving outside of stuff for kids, there is everything Shirley Jackson's done is is very good if you're looking for more of this like kind of creepy horror gothic stuff. Uh, M.R. James is my favorite old timey horror writer. I love him. I love the characters in his stories. They are just it is I. It, I, I love them because it'll be like, you know, uh, Tim, like, I bought a painting and I think it's haunted. Well, Bob, like, 
all right, like, we'll have to, I'll come over to your house and we'll, like, see what we can do about this haunted painting. Like, there's none of the, like, I mean, sometimes there is, but frequently there's not as much of the kind of more modern, like, ugh, ghosts? Who believes in ghosts? Like, you're crazy, old man. Like, a lot of it is just kind of like, all right, well, we accept it, but what can we do about it? So, yeah, so those are, those are a bunch, I think, to keep people busy. <laughs> and if you ever need more, just hit Kate up on Twitter. She will happily tell you. Correct. <laughs> I put down, you know, as we said in the intro, creepypasta, because it's basically the same thing of just, like, those repeated stories, those kind of urban legend feel, those stories that are about the buildup of tension. It's probably, like, the most scary stuff I've read is, beyond these books, is creepypasta. And then there's a show, Channel Zero, that Kate watches that I have seen 25% of <laughs> <laughs> that is based on creepypasta, but again, just has that, it's just eerie. And in, all, and in a similar vein to how I feel about these stories, often doesn't completely make sense. <laughs> they do not, you're still kind of like, wait, what? A lot of the time, but you're scared while you're doing it. So, you know, that's fine. Um, and the other book is, I definitely, thank God for the internet, because I was trying to find this book because it was the other book that lived on my brother's bookshelves with these three books when they were not in the bathroom. And I couldn't remember what it was called. I just remembered that it was like this book and had scary stories in it and had a bluish cover. And I found it. Thanks, internet. Mm -hmm. And short and shivery, 30 Chilling Tales by Robert D. Sanssouci. Uh, which, dude... It's, and it's, it's ironic it's because his last name means carefree, but... Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds on, like guy. some cares. <laughs> yeah, a lot of care, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it is, again, it is short stories, a lot of, like, familiar tales like these ones. Some of them are actually repeated. They're all written... They're all a little longer. A lot of these were just one or two pages in the short stories book. Um, these ones are a little longer, I think probably geared toward a slightly older audience and had more, what I remember the most about it was had more stories from other cultures, which is what I found interesting. Mm. They were like, here's, you know, scary stories from Africa. And I was like, hell yeah, those are different. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, I got, actually I have two things I want to say. One of them is I've been uh, rewatching the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, and uh, they always do a, every season has a Halloween episode, and they're not that scary, so I like them. But especially um, in season five, they did a, a bit where they were building a hauntless house so that it wouldn't, and they were going to invite senior citizens over because there was such a problem of old people being scared to death by haunted houses. So this was specifically engineered not for that to happen, which A, is exactly what I want to go to, but B, then it accidentally is actually haunted and it's a whole thing and it's really <laughs> delightful. And uh, their, their guest that episode is Gillian Jacobs and her Halloween costume is Pee Wee Herman and she looks fucking great. Oh um, <laughs> so that it's on Netflix. It is season five, episode 12. I checked this for you. Um, you I, I love the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, but it's a faux talk show, so you don't have to watch it all in order. You can just dip right into that one if that sounds like your jam, which maybe it is. And um, the other thing, this is actually a 
request, since if you're listening to this episode specifically, maybe you have some spooky childhood memories. I was, I've been trying to remember this particular cartoon from my childhood that frightened me deeply. I don't think it was even meant to be that scary, but don't be surprised, obviously. Um, all I remember is it was, um, it's a cartoon, it was a vampire bat, and it would, like, suck the jelly out of donuts, and I think it was just supposed to be, like, a harmless goof, but it really upset me. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> I'm just wondering if anyone, if you're listening, if you know what that is, I've been Googling it. I texted my brother, who's usually, because we had such a weird collection of childhood media that doesn't really align up with most other people of our generation. I don't know what this is. It could be anything. If you know what it is, please tell me. Yeah, when you said it, it sounded familiar, but I also couldn't find it. But then I also just got a thought now that I have to look into. Great. If, so I'll let you know. I'll if, follow up on that thought. If we figure it out, we'll put it on the website. Um, <laughs> if you, okay, uh, you can see all of these on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. All right. Uh, so now it's time for our candy pairing, where we will suggest a, a tasty treat to go along with this scary book. Uh, obviously, the answer is peeled grapes that feel like eyeballs. I said a big toe that you find in the ground. <laughs> oh, delicious. Delicious. Uh, mine is, well, mostly because they already picked the best foods out of the book. <laughs> but I, I went with Peter Bun- peanut butter taffy, which is like the worst Halloween candy. But clearly somebody likes it or they wouldn't keep making it. And that's kind of how I feel about this book. Except that I'm aware that by somebody, I mean like literally everyone. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's gross. <laughs> if that wasn't clear. <laughs> uh, now it is time for the Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Becca will choose which most enhances this book. Okay. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a spooky camp director who narrates all these stories by telling them to kids around a campfire. And in the end, of course, he would be a ghost who fades out of existence after telling the last story. Spooky. Kate, now now you've put the image of the Rock being dead out into the universe, and that's upsetting. <laughs> uh all right. If Wolverine were in this book, he would fight the hook-handed man and win because he's got six claws and that guy's <laughs> only got one hook. And and I just think that would be more visually compelling than almost anything else in this book. Are they fighting in like straight up hand-to-hand combat or are they fighting in an arm wrestling match? <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I mean, the arm wrestling would be delightful. I was envisioning more like a, a comic style hand-to-hand right, combat. Right. A lot of a lot of leaping, a lot of, you know, raking motions with the claw and the hook, <laughs> respectively. I'm into it. I'm into it. Epic Wolverine. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> because how dare you say Dwayne the Rock Johnson is dead? <laughs> He's playing a part of a ghostly camp counselor who's spooky. And the spookiest thing that happens when you're playing a part is that then it comes real. <laughs> You're like, oh, we're doing a haunted movie. It's just a movie, but then it's real. I don't think that's how acting works. Yes, it is. I've I seen a lot is. of movies. <laughs> I've seen the Scream movies. Killer's real. 
Well, this ties in perfectly because it is now time for the moral of the story. I think I think Beck has just revealed the moral of movies in general. But what do we think the moral <laughs> of this book is? <laughs> I think the moral of the story is that kids love scary shit. I think the moral of the story is that Kate loves scary shit. <laughs> it's not incorrect. Yeah. Hashtag not all kids. <laughs> <laughs> My moral is, is every scary book it's scary reader. I guess. And that's not me. <laughs> All right. Uh, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat of constant size, Duarte, will share his opinions about the book. Yeah, Duarte, you're right. I, I completely agree that Wait Till Martin Comes was the best story, um... This book could use way more cats in it. Although I do think that probably something bad would have happened to cats if they were in more stories. So maybe let's just keep it, keep it with the status quo. Duarte, I will let you know that there is a story in a later book about a woman who can turn into a cat. Oh, uh, hell yeah. true. I didn't like that one. All right. Well, Duarte, I, I know that these were not even scary for you because you're extremely fearless and... <laughs> ferocious so uh you know th thanks for trying and uh do any humans have any closing thoughts i mean many but we'll be here all day <laughs> i have a last minute reader's advisory that i forgot about you should watch are you afraid of the dark yes i can't believe i forgot about i know that. absolutely watch are you afraid of the dark and i think we discovered like I, there were some on amazon Screaming, streaming, I think, and I think we Amazon found a bunch screaming. of streaming. <laughs> yes, Amazon <laughs> screaming. <laughs> and then we found a bunch on YouTube, so they're they're out there. Yeah, stop listening to this and go watch. Are you afraid of the dark? It's very good. By that I mean it's kind of still very bad, just in the same way that these are like, what are you talking about? Once you're an adult, but it's entertaining. And Gary's a weatherman now. Yep. And that delights me. And he responds to people on Twitter. He does. He's very nice about it. <laughs> That's my closing thought. <laughs> my closing thought is just... Ew. <laughs> <laughs> On brand. Uh, Alright, if you want... If you want more of this kind of thing, or things that are different from this, uh, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. Or follow us on Twitter where we're at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S was too scared and needed to be used in the word scared and we couldn't have it. I don't know, guys. I don't know. <laughs> Not at the top of my game right now. I'm too scared. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group. You can get to it from our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, if you subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we're going to send you creepy postcards in the mail that are just illustrations from these books. They're going to be drippy. Very drippy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for our web hosting and buy new equipment and do all sorts of other stuff. And you will get perks for signing up and doing this for us to show you our gratitude. 
And one of those things that is a Patreon goal, if you like Renata being scared and terrified and hating every second of things, <laughs> one of our goals is to spend the night at the Lizzie Borden house. So, I think I'm going to be, I mean, I shouldn't take away from this. I think I will be less scared of that than I will be of watching Gerald's game, which we already have to do. <laughs> That's legit. Yeah, but we're less than $100 away from the Lizzie Borden house, so. Are we? Yes. yes. Oh boy. <laughs> Renata is super not looking forward to it. I am medium not looking forward to it. And Kate is super looking forward I'm to pumped. it. <laughs> it's gonna be it's one of those things where I've just already accepted that I just won't sleep that night, even if nothing scary is happening. But to to wrap up our stuff that you should know about us, uh, we have a merch store that you can get to by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com and clicking store. Uh, where you can buy all sorts of stuff related to our podcast to wear our podcast on your body. Yeah. Or put it on a dead body and leave it in the woods. Yes, that too. Then then we'll start a true crime podcast that will be viral marketing for this podcast. <laughs> it becomes so complicated. And I just don't think that it's the most effective effective marketing to put your podcast shirt on a dead body and leave it in the woods. <laughs> Only Kate will find it. <laughs> I'm just, uh, there's no wrong ideas in brainstorming. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> okay. Can we make, can we make shirts for cats that just say, let's wait till Martin comes? <laughs> oh my God, yes. Yes. <laughs> no one's going to sue us about that, right? No. Uh, it's, it's uh, folklore, open source, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, what is it? It's not whatever. It's fine. Uh, if you want to tell me if you know where that jelly vampire bat is from, please tweet at me. I'm at Renata Snacks, or you can follow me for other reasons. But right now, that's mainly my concern. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at fourteen across. Uh, I'm not like super on Twitter these days, but I'm also at fourteen across on Instagram, where I post pictures of clouds and. Uh, Tumblr, where I post stuff that you probably don't care about. You can find me on Twitter at Ginthusiastic, and I'll also take a moment to say that I was also recently on an episode of Liz and Alyssa Make Stuff, talking about making macarons, and I wanted to plug that, because it was cool. We ate the macarons she made, and they were very good. It's true. Uh, Alright, and we will be back in two weeks. Flashback Summer continues with uh, a choose-your-own-adventure Specifically, House of Danger by R.A. Salvatore. We will see you then. Or maybe we'll be dead. Who knows? <laughs> Spooky. Woo! Or maybe both. Maybe we'll be dead and we'll see you. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, now in true, untrue scary stories fashion, I think the only way this podcast can end is just with us screaming. <laughs> As the editor, ah! no. <laughs> You scream very quietly. Ah. Ah.